Welcome to the Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Group's Thursday Night Alcoholics and God Speaker Step Series. Let's have our joke now. Hi, I'm, hi, I'm Trey, and I'm an alcoholic. Uh, this joke is from Take Me to Your Sponsor, Best Jokes and Cartoons from AA Grapevine. Anybody, anywhere, at any time can join Alcoholics Anonymous. But to join Al-Anon, you got to know somebody. <laughs> I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name is Marion. Thanks for joining us tonight. In a minute, we're going to start our two-minute meditation. So please take a moment to get situated. Turn off all devices that make noise that might or will distract others. Take this time to get connected to God. Let the craziness of the day drift away and ask God to help you stay focused on the step study tonight. Is everybody ready? Yes. If so, let's start the meditation.
you'd like to join me in the fog light prayer, it's on this screen and on this one. God, let your love shine through me like a fog light so those who are lost, sick, and dying can find your love through me. There is a solution from the big book, page 17. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we've discovered a common solution. We have a way out in which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. And I've asked Christine to come and read the spiritual experience. We read this because the main purpose of the 12 steps is to have one. So it's kind of important to know what one is. Hi, my name is Christine and I'm an alcoholic from Seattle. Hi, Hi everyone. The spiritual experience. Thank you. The term spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book, which, upon careful reading, shows that the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. Yet it is true that our first printing gave many readers the impression that these personality changes or religious experiences must be in the nature of sudden and spectacular upheavals. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. In the first few chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. Though it was not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness, followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. Among our rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of our experiences are what the psychologist William James calls the educational variety because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he is himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life, that such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped an unsuspected inner resource, which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. Most of us think this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of spiritual experience. Our more, more religious members call it God consciousness. Most emphatically, we wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery. But these are indispensable. There is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation. And that's by Herbert Spencer. (laughs) 
Please refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up and sitting back down. This is a tech-free meeting, so set your phones to airplane or meeting mode or just set, turn it off, please. Um, goodness. I'm going to introduce our speaker, who happens to be my husband, who happens to be my shoulder-to-shoulder and, and who walks and talks this program and his love for God. And um, I just want to invite you up here to, to speak, honey. So hard. Yeah. I never got called honey up to the podium before. Uh, my name is Peter, recovered alcoholic. Uh, grateful to be alive and sober and part of a sacred place called Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, again, thank the group for having me. Um, uh, we uh, love being here on Thursday nights. Uh, whether we're speaking or sitting in the back, I've said it a million times, it's, uh, it's uh, coming up here as a bright spot of my week, uh, just walking in this building um, some really good folks in here, um, so I thank you for allowing me to be here. Uh, June 23rd, 1988 is when God separated me from alcohol. I'm very grateful uh, for this gift of sobriety, very grateful for the many things uh, uh, God has uh, given me, and um, on most days, grateful for the things God uh, either has taken from me or sometimes what I found out as I'm getting older, refuses to give me. Um, uh, <laughs> And I leave claw marks in a lot of things I negotiate with God. I've argued with God. Um, I, I came up with a really good plan. He's not following my script. I got a really good script you should follow. And uh, the book says we had to quit playing God. And sometimes, you know, I'm playing God. And Marion says, you know, you're playing God. And I don't even realize it. Um, so much has to do with the human condition, which uh, over and over and over again, proves to me, I prove to myself how broken and flawed I really am. That's not an excuse for poor behavior, but even when uh, I could be firing on all cylinders and life is not my master, I'm still walking through it uh, with this human condition. Um, our book talks about how to, uh, the maintenance of our spiritual condition. Um, it, it changes a lot when I realize I'm a spirit rather than attached to worldly things. Uh, when we have a spiritual awakening, if I can get really clear on my soul that I'm a spirit having this awakening rather than Pete Marinelli trying to scratch and claw his way to it, uh, I need to be real careful on this path where, you know, I want more God. And that sounds really good on the front end. It sounds really impressive. I want more God. But who really wants more God? And for what reason? What if God says, this is all you're getting of me for the remainder of your days? Can you make do with that? It's the self that wants more God for one reason, to get past you for selfish reasons. So it gets real tricky. Uh, we t I used to tend to think the further I'm along in this work and the more awakened I become, it, be it, it be gets less tricky. Uh, but the ego and the self gets really uh, uh, just as smart. And so when I'm seeking freedom, I'm not seeking freedom for me, but I'm really seeking freedom from me. It's really important to, to understand that, that the self gets sharper as I get along, all these manifestations of self. And thank God for steps 10 and 11, where I continue to grow in understanding and effectiveness by experience the death of self. And uh, over the last few weeks, I've been able to share with you, you know, my, in a general way, my journey there. 
uh, starting from uh, being in an abandoned building hallway in the Lower East Side of Manhattan, homeless, a bum in the street, literally a bum in the street, uh, not having a clue about Alcoholics Anonymous or what I was going to do with my life. Um, I wish I would just die was my mantra every day. Uh, the pain of living was just too, too great. Um, and I couldn't see that it was alcoholism that was destroying me. And I had been through six treatment centers at this point under the delusion that alcohol was my main problem, but my alcoholism doesn't come in a bottle of whiskey. I couldn't see that I never picked up the first drink drunk. I was always sober right, uh, right out of a treatment center. There were so many things I was so blind to and ignorant to and naive to. As sharp as I was, I was really about as sharp as a bowling ball in 1988. I didn't really have a clue about much let alone who Bill and Bob was. I've shared this with you guys many times. The steps and the traditions, that was like Latin. I just don't want to hurt anymore. I didn't know the journey I had to embark upon, and it wasn't going to be me setting one foot in front of the other, but this God in his infinite mercy was going to put me on this path. I had to do some heavy lifting. I had to agree to be on that path. When all choice was gone, all control was gone, all power was gone, and yet I still want to kind of run it my way. When proof, when you look at my spreadsheet, it was, I failed miserably at life. I failed miserably at relationships, at managing money, at holding a job, at staying sober, at being a good treatment center a client. No matter where I went, there I was, and it was never good. When you pour alcohol on that stuff, I feel like it's working a little while, but it only gets worse. It's unbelievable how I'm always seeking control, and I would think I had control as I'm drinking. I'm, I'm back in the saddle, and yet I'm actually even more out of control. I'm completely unreliable. I'm totally unpredictable. So how do you, how do you reel something like that in? Through pain and desperation where I get to a point where I got to be on your team called Alcoholics Anonymous. And whatever this God is, I'm a cradle Catholic, so I got an idea about the carpenter, but whatever that looks like, I don't know how I'm going to reach him as if there's proximity between me and God. There's no proximity between me and God, between any of us and God. But we feel this conscious separation. But how do I get there? See, what the ego does is create an environment. My ego creates an environment where I feel like I'm separate from that power which I can never be separate from. But it creates an environment where I really think there's God there and there's me over here and there's no connection. That's the environment it creates. And because I walk into a meeting called Alcoholics Anonymous and join a home group and make coffee, it doesn't mean the ego says, okay, back off. He joined, you know, Alcoholics and God. We can't go in there. Because ego will get me where I even think I'm good. It just follows me around. I'm going to have an ego till the day I take my last breath. But my sponsor says something that I think is brilliant. He says the ego becomes a non-voting junior partner on the board. You can't get rid of it. He's just not voting anymore. He has no say-so. He's just there. Now, I can't make that happen. But the journey of that happening really comes out of uh, a pain and desperation. Enough pain, I suffer, and enough suffering, I'm willing to change. I can't take that anymore. And that willingness to be changed, not go to God to change God so he agrees with me, 
but to be changed by God. I mean, for so long I would go to God and tell him my plans and designs that he should follow me and my dreams. And rather, what it looks like is I go to God to be changed by him and follow his path for me. And if I'm not doing that, I'm in conflict all the time. I don't care how long we're sober. But once the external world starts to be my master, I'm in conflict. I know what that feels like. I've been there many times. And I don't see it right away. It's called, simply put, current unmanageability. I don't believe God's going to fix this. So I take over. And it's not even a conscious decision, but I'm in the driver's seat. Let me maneuver things. Let me arrange things to fit me. I don't care about anything else right now. What I'm seeking is comfort once again. I'm looking for ease and comfort out there. And I'll get it every once in a while. And then it falls apart. I was watching uh, uh, a movie, and there was a, a little clip that I thought was, it sent shivers down my back. And um, there's a woman sitting there with her, one of her sons who's a non-believer. He's an atheist. Incredibly successful. And this woman is suffering from uh, uh, dementia. And he's sitting there going, how uh, if you all, you know, you've done all good things with your life. You've treated people well and look at you. You're like in a wheelchair. You have dementia. And I'm incredibly successful. Everything I touch turns to gold. And he's going on and on and on. Not very respectful coming from a son. And she turns to him and she says something like, but she uses a different word. I'll just paraphrase it. Sometimes this other power will give you everything you want, a life of ease and comfort. Everything's firing all cylinders. And you get comfortable sitting there. You like it. And there's no need to look for God. And then one day the door closes and you're stuck there for eternity, never knowing God. For me, I'd rather bear the pain of waiting for God than bear the pain of going on without God. Because if I'm not careful, what will happen to me while I'm sober? My poor judgments, my bad behavior, my misdeeds will put me in a position where light with life that becomes painful. I'm in conflict and I suffer from the weight of my own behavior. Now, the ego is going to say it's your fault and it's your fault and it's your fault. But at the end of the day, it's me. My own plans and designs has me in conflict with you. And if I'm really working this step, I avoid a whole bunch of that. I might trip and fall. I might stumble a little bit. I might fall in a hole. It's part of the human condition. I'm going to get afraid. I'm going to become elated. I'm going to laugh. I'm going to weep. I'm going to get really tight. I'm going to get concerned. The ebb and flow of life. But what, with step 10, if I really have a step 10 in my life and I really have a step 11, I'm not going so far into the valley anymore. And what this work does is bring us to a place of humility where we can talk to someone freely, a select few, not everyone, we don't curse our, cast our pearls before swine, but with the few, hey, here's what's going on. I need guidance here. I need a little bit of help, and we don't even realize we're doing it. What has happened is the ego, little by slowly, gets crushed. I would love to tell you it happens to me seven days a week, 24 hours a day, but if that was true, I'd be levitating right now. You know, I'd have a church with my name, Peach Church. (laughs) But I, you know, I, I, as I say, I chop wood and carry water. 
And some days it feels like a lot of weight on the back, and some days it doesn't feel that at all. It's really unbelievable when I'm traveling light. Sometimes I'm not even aware of it. But some point during the day, it says, you know, this is, I like what's going on. I appreciate everything. There's a sense of gratitude in all I'm doing. But usually I'm the last one to know it. But I'm the first one to know when I don't like what's going on. And I'm in conflict with stuff because I need you to agree with me. And you have to walk with me and trudge with me. Step 10 is incredibly freeing. So I didn't talk Alcoholics Anonymous in 1988 after the Seven Treatment Center. And I, as I said, I have no clue what I'm going to do. I didn't, I, am I going to stay sober? I don't know if I'm going to stay sober. How do you get this God? I would hear these old timers absolutely sure, certain that God was working in life. I said, how do, you get, how do you get there? Did they come in like that? Or was it, was it a, a, a progression getting there? Was it a growth period? And one old timer says, you know, I got all these years by getting the first day. I said, that's, that's too slow for me. How do I get from right where I am counting minutes to where you are with 35 years? You know, how, how do I get there where life is, tra- you're traveling light? But I began out of desperation. The great thing about desperation, I mean, we don't want to feel it, but it's a necessary ingredient to get me to be teachable. It, alcohol beats me to a state of reasonableness. I'm desperate, I'm listening, I'm negotiable. And it grinds the ego into the dust temporarily. It creates a vacuum where God's light can get in. Prior to that, I'm, I'm in lockdown. Nothing's getting in, nothing's getting out. And that you can see by my actions. See, the, the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. You hear me speak, not here, but like, you know, uh, over coffee or in a parking lot or in Starbucks. You'll know where I'm at. And if you see my actions, you'll definitely know where I'm at. The walk is the sermon, not the talk. And if, I, if, if, if someone will use me as really walking this walk, then this talk is just a reflection of that. Very often, people, new guys will tell me, what do I talk about? What do you mean? Step three. You talk about step three. Well, I'm really nervous. I get that. A lot of people are. But what have you been doing for the last month? You've been praying and meditating, you're working with others, you're reading your big book, you're going to church, you're, you're calling your sponsor, you're writing image. you go talk about that. Let that be a reflection. Your talk be a reflection of that. You don't have to invent stuff. See, if I'm really all in, this is really easy. But if I'm a player out there and they say, can you give a talk tonight? I got to invent stuff up on the fly. I was convinced I was alcoholic. I know that. I didn't know the depths of alcoholism. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know the depths of alcoholism. Where this thing, how far these roots go down, that I'm alcoholic with a drink in me or without. In fact, I'm in. I'm in more trouble and a more danger to myself when I'm sober, left untreated. Life devours me. This isn't about for me just getting to a meeting and you know having a cup of coffee, which is wonderful, enjoying the sacred fellowship. It's all great. It's a band-aided open wound, but I still have to go home when the meeting when the hour's up to get my car and drive home. I have to go to work tomorrow. You know? And I'll talk about God maybe in here, but out there I'm not gonna talk about God. I'm gonna upset people out there right now. God's a four-letter word, so I don't wanna I don't wanna be conf- uh, be in conflict with anyone. The way I've been brought up is that's exactly where I'm supposed to be talking about it when the invitation arises. I'm not going to hide out from God in here or out there. 
I mean, this whole thing is about putting my hand in God's hand. I'm going to hide him in the closet because it may not be popular in certain circles. Not realizing God maybe put me in that circle in some dark to be a little piece of light and maybe spark someone to say, hey, I got to follow this guy around because that's what I'm searching for. See, my life is none of my business. If I make it my business, I'm going to select how I'm going to speak at this meeting, which is a big book meeting, and the middle of the road meeting when I get invited there. When I'm going to talk about God in the diner where these guys don't like God, and when I'm around, you know, the born-agains, I'm going to talk a whole lot about God. Who's running that show? Me. It's never going to, I'm going to hit a wall. But if I understand my life is none of my business, I'm going to do as he sees fit, because he'll give me the words to speak. Well, it's about this book, about God, about inventory, just having a cup of coffee and talking about the game last night. doesn't make a difference, but I'm on, I'm on his train, not mine. Hopefully, by the time I get to step 10, I really understand at a gut level, experientially, when the book says we've entered the world of the spirit. Experientially, can I talk about that from the podium and to the world? What does that feel like? What does it look like? What does it sound like? How's my day living in the world of the spirit? Not perfect. I'm not talking about perfection. One thing about Alcoholics Anonymous has just taught me. It's a walk towards humility rather than a struggle towards, towards perfection. Forget perfection. There was one guy who was perfect. They, they nailed him to a cross. Before that and after, that's been a mess. But it's a chop wood and carry water. And I get a sponsor, and he starts walking me through this book, uh, the first 43 pages, which we've discussed, and I, plus doctor's opinion, and I get a really clear view of what I'm up against. Not crystal clear yet. It wasn't high def yet, but I got an idea of what I'm up against. And it's all about God, unless I want to live in a you know, gated community where I select who's coming in or not. You know? Like, I'll be, I'll be godly in here, and I'm going to the casino over the weekend, and God who? You know? I need to practice fidelity to God and to experience God's fidelity towards me. So I got an idea, and my sponsor gives me some first-step uh, assignments. I looked at bedevilments. I, I did what Bill does in the first nine pages. I wrote about how I felt, thought, and drank like Bill. I, I got it. We talked about current unmanageability and bedevilment. I said, I'm, I'm in serious trouble here. The, it, uh, books is the more hopeless I feel, the better. I felt really ho- I felt hopeless when I got here. I felt even more screwed when I was here. What do I do now? Step two is the pointer out the solution, the pointer to the solution. That someplace on this journey, at some point, I'm going to lock right into God and awaken to this power where everything looks different, it feels different, it sounds different, I'm different. And I didn't make myself different. I didn't, you know, uh, I can I can put on a different style of clothes. I'll look different. I can grow a beard, long hair, short hair. I'll look different, but I'm the same guy. See, I'm orchestrating that. This is something that's done from within. And then when I come to find out, it's always been there. It's always been there. I'm touching that which was always present. I couldn't hear it. I didn't see it. I wasn't even looking for it. I was looking out there all the time. I need to get, when I get that, I'm going to be okay. When I get her, I'm going to be okay. When I achieve this, I'm going to be okay. And for a little while, it's okay. And then it's not okay again because it's me. I'm in the equation. As long as I'm in the equation, it's not going to work. But it needs some other power to kind of guide me. 
that intuitive stuff that we get. Ladies, you're a hundred times better at it than us guys. For some reason, you just got it. That in, they always talk about women's intuition. My wife is spooky with that stuff. It's like <laughs> you, 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 that thing, you know, that little thing that, you, that tells you, I'm going to make a call, I don't know why, to this person, and it's perfect. It's just that, that guides you. Intuitive thinking, which we all get, comes from being current. I can't hear intuitive thinking if I'm bogged down with the past and living in the wreckage of the future. When I'm present, I don't mean perfect. When I'm present, I'm here. With all the life stuff going on, suddenly I hear this, that voice. I know that voice. Why is it telling me, call Joe? I haven't spoken to Joe in two months. Call Joe. Pete, I'm so glad you called. I was thinking about calling you. This is why sometimes if I'm in meditation, it's happened to me a bunch of times. You ever meditate and someone comes to your meditation? You say, what? what's that about? Sometimes you see their face or you're just thinking about them. When I'm done, that day they're getting a call from me. I have to honor that. Where's that coming from? Not my job to question, just listen. That's intuitive thinking comes from being current. That's what step 10 allows me to do to be current. I'm not accumulating more, more stuff on the scoreboard where I'm overwhelmed by it. If I'm not careful, stuff starts to pile up and I become more important than God. I, my stuff becomes paramount, bigger than my own sobriety. Instead of being experienced oneness with God, I'm immersed in me again. It's all about me all the time. Even when I pretend I'm caring about you, it's really about me. I'm speaking to someone. As I'm speaking to someone, I'm really concerned. How do I sound? See, it's all about me all the time. I'm a great actor. What this allows me to do is get rid of all of that. Little by slowly. I I remember, oh Lord, many years ago, I'm getting old, Jesus. I can say over 30 years ago. That's, wow. I was just home from Minnesota, uh, I'll say two years sober. So I'm really new. And if anyone's got two years, I don't mean like you to discount that. It's important. But you look back two years as you're like, you know, you're just born. And um, I was really concerned what people thought of me. Put a lot of attention to what people thought of me, what they were saying about me. And I knew everyone was talking about me. And... Um, so I would, I remember my sponsor telling me, you got to open up your top button. He didn't mean that literally. What he meant was relax. Just come in as you are. So I always try to keep neat and clean. And he says, I want you to come to the next home group. Don't put any of that product you have in your hair. In your hair. Just dry it out of the shower and come here. I look for a new sponsor immediately. <laughs> And I'm telling you, man, I tossed and turned. How am I going to do it? I can't, I can't walk in. What are people going to think of me? Monday night, I'm getting ready to go to the meeting. I'm sweating bullets. Get out of the shower, I dry my hair, and it's like I'm looking at the bottle of whiskey. It's the hair product. And I'm like, I can't, well, maybe not. I, don't. I cheated. I put a little in. When I looked in the mirror, I looked like, like I had this huge head of hair. I said, oh my God, they're going to laugh at me. I'm sitting in the car in the park, and I said, okay, here we go. I walk out, and um, hey, Pete, hey, how's it going? 
couple of women all the time say, oh, honey, you look good. You got a new haircut. It looks nice. Everybody's just having coffee. Hey, Pete, what's going on? My sponsor sees me. He gives me one of these. You know what a sponsor does this? <laughs> and he says, how'd it go? I said, no one said anything. He says, exactly. Exactly. You keep making the noose tighter and tighter and tighter. It's a great lesson for me. I shower, I get dressed for me and respect to AA, but less and less concerned if someone doesn't like me or someone has something to say about me. By the way, for newcomers, if you're around here a long time, someone is going to say something bad about you at some point. So welcome to the NFL. Um, I learned to turn things over in step three. It started with a decision, and the action came in four through nine. I didn't know what I was turning it over to in three. I had no clue. I mean, I know God, but I'm thinking of turning the booze over to God, the non-conference approved dry goods over to God, and once I do this, everything's going to just be like, you know, something out of a movie, and I'm going to levitate, and it's going to be great. My sponsor says, let's do step four. As soon as we got up off our knees, next we launched out a course of vigorous action. In order to carry out step three, I had to do four, then five, and moving into six and seven, next thing you know, I'm in nine. But something happens along that way. Little by slowly, self is dying. I don't even know it, but it's dying. I'm starting to travel light. My shoulders aren't up to my knee, up to my, uh, up to my earlobes. You know, how you doing? I'm great. Everything's just absolutely wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. I finished my fourth step. It was like, how am I supposed to share this with another guy? I mean, there's sex inventory on here. Most of it, looking back, it was pretty boring. It was pretty, if there's a name for it, it's been done. I did it, I did four, and I finished five. There was a sense of relief. I felt like I was on that AA team. There was no parting of the seas, no light shining on me. It was like, I'm done with it. I got it out of the way. It was a relief. And those fifth step promises I experienced when I was doing six and seven, somewhere in there. I was on my way up to the second floor of the Bat Beach Group in Brooklyn, New York on a Friday night. I had a 7 o'clock meeting and 8.30 meeting. I go to the doubleheader. And I'm walking up the steps and bang, something happens. I don't, I don't know what happened. But I felt that peace. I felt that one with the world. I was elated about going to this meeting with a bunch of old timers. They used to smoke and drink coffee in the meetings at that time. So I walked in. It looked like London when you walked in. It was like, you know. And I was just like, just... Oh, my God, I feel God's presence, and I don't know what the heck's going on. And I called my sponsor. He told me exactly what's going on. He said, don't tell anybody about it. You're going to talk it away. Just be with it. This is what they're talking about, the fifth-step promises. You may get them right after the almost five. You might get them at six or seven. God knows only when they're going to happen, but they're going to happen. And the amends process I talked about last week how vital step nine is to keeping me sober. To really get free of me and my past. To really lock into God, if you will. To clean up the wreckage of my past so my past doesn't dictate what I'm doing now. I have no past, if you will. There's no more past. I mean, I have a story. I have a past, but it's not alive anymore. It happened. It's been cleaned up. What a great place of freedom to sit with someone who says, I have no wreckage from the past that can haunt me right now. When you knew you have everything from 10 minutes ago that can haunt you right now. On your way into the meeting, not too good. Ran two red lights. But I'm not going to tell the sponsor. 
then something happens. We, I get distance. I get space between the past and where I am right now. And I use it as a, as a, a tool to help someone. I was there. This is what I did. I was speaking to a guy last week in some financial stuff with, with debt collectors and all this other stuff. I said, I've been there. You get out. Credit scores like nothing. I says, it'll build. Just do the next right thing. That's what it comes down to. Very often, do the next right thing. I have to reinvent the wheel here. God's got his, God's plans are always beyond my cleverest plans. God got great things planned for me, for all of us. I just need to hop on board. That doesn't mean it's going to be easy all the time. It's going to be a crunch. It's going to hurt. I'm not going to be popular. I'm going to want, why is God pulling this from me when I really want it? Why is he giving me this when I don't want that? And at the end of the day, so thank God he did what he did. I want it. I'm an alcoholic. I want it. You know, instant gratification is too slow. God's got to like move it along here. You know, I went to five meetings this week. Yeah. And I, I, I try to out not uh, try to st- have a staring contest with God to who's going to blink first, you know, all the ego stuff. And as I'm cleaning up my past, it says we've entered the world of the spirit. I, I covered some of this last week and I don't want to step all over it again, but. Um, yeah, OK, it says. Um, it should continue for a lifetime, this step 10. Now it tells me to continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. There's my inventory. Selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. Now there's one, uh, there's some folks who write this and some folks who don't write it. I'm not going to get into that debate. But I was brought up in AA to write. Now, we did a lot of writing, a lot of writing. There were people who says, why all the writing? You don't have to write it. And I'm, again, I don't want to get into that debate, but it got me here tonight with you. We used to call them writing 10 steps. Some people says it's just a navigation, a little spot check inventory during the day you can do on your own. And if that keeps your boat afloat, then great. I'm not here to change you. I'm just sharing what we did. We wrote this stuff down. And what my sponsor did at the time for me was um, I get up at 6 o'clock in the morning for work. And I get to work, uh, uh, um, and we'd start at 8. And 9 o'clock, we used to take a little 20-minute coffee break. And then we worked to 12 and get an hour lunch. And at 3 o'clock, there was another coffee break. And at 5, we'd go home, and I'd be home by 6 and get ready to go to a meeting. So my sponsor is what I want you to do. On your first coffee break at 9, you've been up about 6 to 9, you worked an hour. Get a notepad and pen and see what's disturbing you, anything going on. Just make a notation or write it out. Nothing, just keep moving. Then do the same thing at 12 o'clock and do the same thing at 3 o'clock and when you get home. And I started to do that. Well, you know, this, this guy I work with is a loud mouth and he, he was calling me a drunken bum still and that annoyed me. So I would write that down. And what it's setting me up for is my nightly review. And sometimes I had it immediately. Call my sponsor. This guy just called me a drunken bum even though I'm sober now. And I was insulted by that. It was really eating my lunch. I don't have the luxury of walking around with that. So I would call the sponsors and we'd discuss with someone immediately. My sponsor had him and two other people immediately, folks. I can call on someone. Spiritual consent. Hey, can you got to help me with this? I'm stuck on this. I got a fear. 
So what was happening for me, and this is the way we did it, the day wasn't, I wasn't waking up on Tuesday morning with Monday all over me. Bill talks about in the 12 and 12, the emotional hangover. It was being addressed, little by slowly. It says we've entered the world of the spirit. Last week we talked about uh, being placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. We've gotten to a place of recovered, you know, not cured, but recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. And then it throws in the nice big warning. It's easy to let up on the spiritual program of action and rest on my laurels, my accomplishments of yesterday. I did really good at work yesterday. I can take a month off. I spoke at my home group and everyone liked it, so I don't have to go for a week. Well, here's mine. It's happened to me a few times. I get to travel a lot. My wife and I get to travel a lot. And uh, come home Sunday night, land in Fort Lauderdale. It's airport. It's 1130 at night. Not a nice place to be. And you get off the plane, and by the time, time your luggage gets there, it's Tuesday afternoon, you know. <laughs> and uh, get my luggage, get the car, drive home from Fort Lauderdale down to Boca. Sometimes there's construction at night. They close off lanes, so you get home really late. And all I want to do is get home, see my wife, get the plane off me, hop in the shower, have a little snack, and go to bed. I'm done. Maybe I did a workshop that started on Friday, finished Sunday morning. Do I really need to do step 11? Do I really need to pray and meditate? It's 1.30 in the morning. I just gave everything over the weekend. I can take a night off, rest on my laurels. Take a shower, a little snack, say hello to Marion, put my head back on the pillow, and that little voice says, so, how was your weekend? You got there safe, got home safe. Everyone seemed to like what you said. Hotel was nice, a lot of fun people, shook some new hands, and here you are on a nice, got a roof over your head, a woman who loves you, a nice, warm, quiet bed, safe. You had some food in the refrigerator. You got a job to go to the Monday morning. You can't give me 10 minutes? So that's what I do. And sometimes at night, I know I'm in a step 11, but it's really important to talk about this. Sometimes at night, it's, it's not a 45-minute uh, uh, practice. Sometimes when I get home and it's late like that, it's maybe 10, 15 minutes. But I'm not going to bed without saying, thank you, God. The way help is a whole prayer, thank you is a whole prayer. It's really my intent that counts. So I got to be careful of resting on my laurels. I'm headed for trouble if I do, for alcohol is a subtle foe. Now, I didn't go to college, so I don't know what subtle and foe meant. I grew up in Brooklyn. We didn't even use those words. You got beat up if you said that. <laughs> you know, you're really subtle. Boom. I don't know what subtle foe means. So my sponsor, we didn't have iPhones, uh, cell phones back then. He said, get a dictionary, look it up. Subtle. Sly, clever, devious, and difficult to detect. And foe is a personal enemy. That's what I'm dealing with. The sniper in the bushes somewhere. It's not going to announce its arrival or getting closer. Well, it's got me in its crosshairs, but the next thing I know, bang. I 
I'm not cured of alcoholism. What I have is a daily reprieve contingent uh, on, the sta- on the maintenance of my spiritual condition. I have a stay of execution here one day at a time. And the maintenance is really caring for the soul. It can't stay as is. It just can't stay that way. I'm either growing or I'm going. But I realize this is a spirit having this condition of alcoholism that I'm growing with. And the sunlight of the spirit, which means alcoholism a little by slowly, isn't owning me like it used to. It's not me grinding it out. And here's my prayer. Every day is the day I must carry the vision of God's will into all my activities, not the ones that are convenient for me. And sometimes taking God's will into all my activities is uncomfortable. It's not popular. It may not be well received. How many times uh, I'm in a restaurant, I like to say grace before I eat, and um, no one else at the table does. I was on a plane one time, and I, was, I like to sit in the aisle, and there was someone sitting in, in the next row uh, in, the, in that aisle seat across from me. And um, my old sponsor, when he was alive, gave me something out of Scripture to read. He said, I want you to read this and study it. Something out of Psalms, Psalm 71 or something like that. So I, I took my Bible out of my duffel bag, and I put it on the little tray, and I'm reading it. I got a little highlighter. And I could feel the tension. And I looked over, and this man is giving me one of these, like, how dare you bring that book on my plane? Not going to be popular. I smiled, and I kept reading. Can I take it into all my activities? Do I stand with God? Am I willing to stand with God when it's not popular? I'll look around, there's a lot of us arm in arm, but sometimes it's not going to feel that way. Sometimes I look to my left and right and I'm the only one on the hill. I just need to remember when we're all before God, there's no, there's no up and down. It's an even playing field. There's no, he can sit there, they're the upper echelon. No, it's all even. There's something that goes, when I, knew who, when I know who walks beside me at all times, I'll never be afraid again. Every day is the day I must have a vision of God's will to my activities. How can I serve thee? Uh, thy will not mine be done. This is about his will, man. Now, my ego is going to fight that. All the manifestations of don't want that. And I'm going to feel the tension from time to time. There's just a lot of bigger fire burning with God in me than the self. It says, these are thoughts which must go me constantly. I can exercise willpower along this line. All we wish is the proper use of the will. Now, up until this point, I, I have found out that will, my will, is no good. It's, it's a bad guy. But now they're telling me it's proper use of the will. And there's a difference between uh, uh, my will and proper use of the will. There's a difference between what God wants and what I want. What begins, what has happened here is this mind has gone silent, the spirit is speaking, and I can carry that into all my activities. God gives me a project to do, and I go do it, and I muster up all the energy in me to go do it, proper use of the will. It gets to a point where I know this is not God's will because I can feel it. I'm tight. I'm uncomfortable. I'm looking over my shoulder. What if this happens? It just doesn't feel right. God's will is not even a thought. It just, you just go do it. It's all good. I'm not attached to an outcome. 
Step 10 continues to keep me small, the right size, in God's light. I only can do as good as the light I'm standing in. Now, I would like outcomes to happen very often my way. God's not interested in my script. I keep sending him rewrites. He says, I don't like it. He's got a definite plan for me, which sometimes runs up, up against my plan. But little by slow, I need to get rid of attachments. I need to get rid of outcomes. I'm not in the outcome business. I'm in the, the chop wood carry water business. There's a great story uh, uh, my priest uh, said a couple of years ago about this. And this guy was sitting on his couch day in and day out, not doing anything. Kind of like when COVID had us in lockdown, we couldn't go out. So you're just kind of laying around, waiting for something to happen, binge watching all kinds of wackos things. And that's what this guy's doing day in and day out. And one day he wakes up and the Lord's in front of him and the Lord says, then what, what are you doing? The Lord's from Brooklyn, by the way, if you haven't got that. You know? what, what are you doing? My God sounds like Al Pacino. I don't know why. But, um, and the guy gets off the couch, drops to his knees, says, Lord, what are you doing here? He says, I've been watching you. He says, what are you doing with your life? And he's trying to talk to God. He's just, un I can't believe God's here. God says, I'm going to give you a task. Tomorrow morning, I'm going to put a big boulder outside your door. He says, I want you to push the rock. Can you do that? He says, absolutely. Next morning, he wakes up. He remembers puts on his sneakers, goes out, and there's this huge boulder in front of his doorway, and he starts to push, sun up to sundown. Next day, does it again, does it again, does it, does this like 90 days. Gets up early pushing, sun up to sundown. And one day, he wakes up in Satan, standing in front of him. The guy's alarmed by this, and Satan says, what are you doing? He says, well, the Lord was here, told me to push the rock. He says, you're going to believe the Lord? He's look at you, sun up to sundown, you're pushing this rock, it hasn't moved an inch. He's playing tricks on you. Where are you going with this? He says, you know what? You're right. I'm going back on the couch. Next morning he wakes up. Guess who's standing in front of him? The Lord. He says, what are you doing? He says, God, not for anything. You told me to push the rock. I've been pushing faithfully for 90 days. Sun up to sundown. It hasn't moved an inch. And God's reply to him was, I told you to push the rock. I didn't tell you to move the rock. That's my job. And very often in life, I keep, I keep going to work. I keep calling the sponsor. I keep working with newcomers. I keep trying to save money. And it just seems like, where, where are we going with this? Where is, my, where is my pot of gold? I want a result this way. I want to be famous in an anonymous program called Alcoholics Anonymous. <laughs> None of my business. And when I do that, I fail to realize that some power put me in AA, and I'm over 35 years sober, and at one point, I didn't know how to put my shoes on. How's that possible? I get so wrapped up in me, and I need to be there, and that very same path I want to go on is taking me further away from God. It should look this way. I'm disappointed if it doesn't work out that way. Failing to realize that God is moving me from day to day to day. I didn't plug in last night to, a, to, a, to the wall so I can wake up this morning. Some power woke me up. He wakes me up really early, by the way. It's bizarre. And then I sleep. And somehow I wake up again. I have nothing to do with that. 
In fact, I'll be so bold as to say no one in this room has anything to do with that. Because that very same power is going to say, because it's the last breath, now you're coming home. I have nothing to do with that either. No say so in that. But I get wrapped up in life stuff. So what step 10, because I'm almost out of time here, what step 10 is going to allow me to do is stay current. I don't accumulate plaque on the soul. I'm not leading with paranoia. I'm not living in the wreckage of the future. I'm here now, present, which is the only... My sponsor, Mark, used to say, this is the only thing we got is right now. We've never known this moment before. One more story, and I get out of your hair. I remember my sponsor used to call me. Mark H. would call me really early in the morning, wake me up. How dare he? And uh, I didn't know at the time he just finished meditation. He was all lathered up. You know, he was all full of uh, uh, fire. And he would say, money, what's shaking? And I would say, it's like, you know, 5.30 in the morning. Like, nothing's shaking. <laughs> I can't even see yet, you know? And uh, that's when I had, like, newcomer uh, wake-up clock, 8 o'clock, you know? Um, he says, uh, what are you doing about the dash? And I says, uh, uh, Mark, I, I don't, it's 5.30 in the morning, what dash? She says, what are you doing about the dash? What are you doing about the dash? And he was really animated when he was speaking. He had this, this, this low, loud voice. And I says, Mark, I don't know the dash. What are you talking about? He says, if you go to a cemetery, there's a headstone. And on headstone is a person's name. It's the day God brought them here and the day God took them home. And right in the middle is a two-inch dash. That was their life. What are you doing about the dash? It woke me up. <laughs> you know? Spend the whole day annoyed that the Yankees lost. My whole day is ruined because the Yankees lost. They're not paying my rent. Or some knucklehead at the home group keeps causing a problem at their business meeting, and it's, it's paramount. And I'm squandering the hours that may have been worthwhile, our book says. I'm not really paying attention to God's beauty that I'm sober. I can get to a meeting. I get home sober. I wake up sober. I wake up. You know, relationships are better. I miss all of that. Mm, What am I doing about the dash? Step 10 allows me to pay attention to the dash and appreciate friendships. There's a bunch of people in this bed. Mary and I love being here because some really good people here. I appreciate that. Now, I'm getting older. I know I'm on the other side of this, you know. So relationships are important to me to let people know, even with the handshake and a smile, you count in my life. Even if I see you once a week, you're important. Not just to shrug and keep moving because I'm so important, I got things to do. God's not, God doesn't want me to live that way. So I'm very grateful for this work. I'm out of time. That's all I got. Peace. Let's give Peter another round of applause. Um, Let's have our secretary's report. Hi, my name is David, and I am your recovered alcoholic secretary. In keeping with the seventh tradition, which states that every group shall be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions, uh, the baskets are now going around. We also have QR codes on the back of some of the chairs. Uh, If you'd uh, prefer to give 
through Venmo, and I believe you have a QR code um, if you're watching us from home. Um, and I have asked James to come up and read the recovered statement. Hi, James. We are not cured of alcoholism. Recovered, but not cured. That presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would be able to drink responsibly. No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for our lifetime. But we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in the body. We are now sane where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered. Thanks, James. 1940 style big book sponsorship from the forward to the second edition of Alcoholics Anonymous. Of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried, 50% got sober at once and remained that way. 25% sobered up after some relapses, and among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, come to believe, and experience is that God has not changed over time, and neither should the sacred approach back to his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75% success rate. Uh, is there anyone needing a sponsor in the room? Okay, uh, we have one. Is there anybody in the room who is willing to be a sponsor? Okay, uh, well, they're all women, uh, but if you wanna, if you wanna take note of who's uh, who's got their hand raised, uh, maybe you should get together and have a conversation. Um, <clears throat> Uh, can the recovered alcoholics uh, raise your hands? Okay. Uh, if your hand isn't raised, uh, we suggest that you hang out with somebody who's is. Announcements. Uh, Broward County Intergroup is uh, responsible. Is where you can buy AA-related uh, literature and medallions. Intergroup is also responsible for creating our where and when and scheduling the AA hotline. Stop by and visit them. Uh, Broward, County, Broward County Institutions Committee is responsible for bringing meetings into places where people like us can't get out to a meeting, such as jails, detoxes, and reha rehabs. Uh, they meet monthly to organize the meeting schedules at the 12th Step House. Uh, I believe it's the second Saturday uh, at 10 a.m. because it says it right there. Um, do we have any BCIC members uh, here? Uh, here are some upcoming uh, service opportunities. The next gratitude uh, dinner plan... Oh, okay, that's over. Um, so don't pay attention to that. Uh, the 47th Broward County Intergroup Picnic, Sunday, October 29th, so it hasn't happened yet. Uh, 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. Friends and families are welcome. Tickets are $10 or... Three for 25, that sounds like a bargain. Is there another slide? I have a 
or yeah, no, I'm, I'm. Uh, okay, uh, October 27th to 29th is the second annual Bull in the China Shop Corral, which is a men's uh, 12-step surrender gathering. Uh, there's a flyer in the back on the literature table. And uh, we have Peter for two more weeks. So um, that's what we're doing. <laughs> is that all? Okay. Um, for everybody else, it's been a while since I did this. Um, uh, for everybody else, uh, we have hundreds and hundreds of avocados uh, in the far hallway. Please help yourself. Uh, are, they are free. Um, and let me say it again, they are free and they will be thrown away if you don't take them. Somebody has also left dozens of Einstein Brother bagels bags there, which is totally random, but they, I'm assured that they can be used to carry avocados, so thank you. Where else can you go and get avocados, right? Love it. Um, let's see. So thank you all for allowing me to chair your meeting tonight. Let's all circle up and close with the Lord's Prayer. Whose Father? Our Father, who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses. As we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. It doesn't matter.
Chase, here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go.
God bless. I love you, Mike Chase. Bye.
Thank you very much.